Welcome to Work and Play, the award-winning podcast of Constangie Brooks Smith & Profit. Here we discuss employment news and provide practical insights and tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. With me is my co-host and partner, Sherry Silverman. Sherry, I was going to figure out a subtle and suitably, hum- suitably humble way to work in that our podcast is a gold award winner in the 2020.com awards for best podcast series. But frankly, I'm too proud of the work that our team has put into the podcast. As you should be. Uh, A podcast that was launched and has continued through the challenges of COVID-19, no less. While teleworking with kids and spouses, bless their hearts. (laughs) Which brings us to our topic of the day. Spouses? teleworking. Um, As I mentioned during our last episode, my kids are now in full swing of virtual learning, quote unquote learning, which means I'm spending a lot more time working from home right now. And I know that I'm not alone. No, you are not. And while teleworking is certainly not a new concept, it is significantly more common now than it was even six months ago. Thanks to COVID-19, many companies had no choice but to allow employees to work remotely due to shelter-in-place orders, even if they had never arranged for work from home before. So whether it's become a necessity because of life circumstances or because a company decided to save some money and not renew its lease in the physical office, I think it's fair to say that teleworking is prevalent and here to stay. Absolutely, which is why we are devoting this episode to addressing the legal implications and circumstances, pitfalls that come into play when you have employees working remotely. And in the interest of keeping it real, we'll share some interesting stories along the way. I know where you are going with this, and there is no shortage of these stories. No, no, there isn't. And if any of our listeners don't have their own hilarious stories about working from home, well, you can come on over to my house. I have ridiculousness to share. Okay. Let me start by addressing what I think is one of the biggest areas of potential liability when it comes to teleworking, and that is wage and hour claims. Oh, agreed. Of course, while employers need to consider all applicable state and local wage and hour laws. On top of the federal law, today we're going to focus on the Fair Labor Standards Act, which we fondly refer to as the FLSA. Yes, and as our listeners likely know, the FLSA requires that you pay all non-exempt employees for all the time they work, as well as overtime for all hours worked over 40 in a work week. In the past, many employers did not enable non-exempt employees to telework, and they often did not provide them with remote access or permit them to take physical work home. That way, it was so much easier to make sure they're getting paid for all-time work because they arrive at work, clock in, spend the workday working their regularly scheduled hours where you could see them, and then clock out and go home. Right. And we even advised employers not to provide non-exempt employees access to work accounts in many circumstances. But now, if non-exempt employees are set up to work with their phone and computer at home, it's a lot easier for them to maybe log in early, jump back on after dinner when the kids go down or on the weekend. And that extra time can take 
a uh, an employee's total hours worked over 40. And suddenly companies might be seeing a bunch of people who are owed time and a half for all their overtime hours worked. Exactly. So let's address a few things. First, we recommend that you have a policy that instructs your non-exempt employees that they are only permitted to work their scheduled hours and they cannot work any additional time without permission in advance. Further, the policy should say that they absolutely cannot work off the clock and bad things will happen if they do so. And of course, it would be great if you could get your employees to acknowledge this policy in some form or fashion. Um, But let's do a real-life scenario. Let's say you have an employee um, whose name will be Ambitious Amber. And Amber thinks she just can't get everything done on time that she needs to do. And so she violates the company's policy and works additional hours with the absolute best of intentions. What should an employer do about that? Okay, let's break this down. If she works additional hours and reports it, then she's in violation of the policy prohibiting the extra work. You still have to pay her for all time work, which may include some overtime hours that will be paid at an overtime rate, but you can discipline her for failing to comply with the work schedule policy. You are bringing back memories. I once got in an animated argument with someone at a conference when I was presenting on this subject. So the attendee said there was no way she was going to ever write up an employee who was working so hard for the company because that's a great employee and you want to encourage that person and not not crush them. And I opined that there is a way to correct the employee's behavior that doesn't crush their souls, but that permitting this type of behavior to continue without addressing it is problematic for a couple of reasons. Well, she may not have, but I agree with you. I'm not saying you fire the person for working overtime without permission, at least not at first, but I am suggesting that you counsel the employee on following your policy. All right. So let's say Amber gets a slap on the wrist. So next week, she thinks she's going to outsmart the company and she'll just finish all her work late at night, but not report the hours. Of course, when she did this, she loved the company. But let's say at some point the relationship soured and she brought a wage claim. Is the employer liable for those unpaid hours now at this point? It depends. (laughs) You were just dying to say that, weren't you? Because we haven't said it in a few episodes. I know, I'm getting rusty. But really, I'm I'm just the messenger here. That's exactly what the DOL said. Okay, maybe not exactly, but... At the end of August, the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor issued a field assistance bulletin addressing this scenario. The TLDR version of it is... What? TLDR? No. Too long, didn't read. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, the bottom line is that the DOL says employers must pay for all hours they know about or have reason to know that their non-exempt employees are working outside of their regularly scheduled hours. And employers consider to have knowledge of these additional unscheduled hours if the employer could have acquired knowledge through reasonable diligence. And did the DOL thoroughly explain what reasonable diligence is? You're so hopeful. Well, they did. They did elaborate a bit. The bulletin says one way an employer may satisfy its obligation to exercise reasonable diligence is to establish a reasonable process for an employee to report uncompensated work time. 
In other words, you must have a policy instructing employees to report all time worked. And here is the key. You can't have a manager or supervisor prevent or discourage employees from reporting their time. Hold on. Good policies and training in support of those policies. I never thought I'd say this, but I feel like my favorite soapboxes are being completely validated by the DOL. You and me both, my friend. (laughs) And while this sounds pretty intuitive and logical, I did find it particularly helpful that the DOL said that if an employer has this policy in practice and an employee still fails to report all hours worked, the employer is not required to undergo impractical efforts to investigate further to uncover unreported hours of work and compensate the employee for those hours. So put another way, the standard is what the employer should have known, not what they conceivably could have known. And I like that too, because I think what the DOL is saying there is that employers are not required to actively audit, monitor, and cross-reference all telephone, computer, and satellite activity to try to determine whether an employee is working off the clock when there's a perfectly good system for reporting hours worked. And at the same time, let's be clear that this defense probably doesn't apply if you have an employee who is repeatedly sending you emails at three in the morning when their normal work schedule is nine to five, because In that situation, the employer will likely be found to have actual knowledge that that person is working and should be paid. Hey, maybe the employee is just struggling to find enough hours in the day. But again, you may discipline them as well as pay them if they're working overtime without permission or working off the clock. You can, and you probably should so that you're being consistent with your policy. I I know it can seem a bit odd to punish someone for working extra hard, but you and I do not make the rules. Exactly. And another wage and hour issue that's coming up a lot in the area of teleworking is business expenses. We get this question a lot. Do I have to reimburse my employee for their cell phone and Wi-Fi they're using to work from home? You know, I'm always glad when I hear employers asking this question because it's a good question. Several states and some localities do have requirements for reimbursing employees for such expenses when they're required to work remotely. For example, in California, employers must reimburse employees for reasonable and necessary home office expenses, which of course sounds reasonable. But what some people don't realize is that the reimbursement could be required regardless of whether the employee was already incurring such expenses. All right. So meaning if I'm paying for my Wi-Fi connection and unlimited cell phone plan anyway, I still get a portion of my bills reimbursed if I'm using them for work purposes too? Well, not you because you're in Florida and not California. But yes, that's that's what I mean. Um Illinois is another example of a state with a requirement to reimburse all, quote, necessary expenditures. Good call out. Again, it will depend on what state and locality you're in because many states do not require such expense reimbursements. So check your local law or contact us. We would love to help. But let's focus on the FLSA, though, because that's something that all employers need to comply with. True. So on a federal level, there is no outright statutory obligation to reimburse employees for business-related expenses unless failing to do so would 
reduce the employee's earnings below the required minimum wage. So if an employee pays for necessary business expenses and if doing so would bring their pay below minimum wage, then yes, the employer would need to reimburse the employee so that they are earning at least minimum wage for all hours worked. Otherwise, it can open your company up to big, scary class and collective actions. Yes, I want to avoid that. Uh, You probably want to encourage a healthy teleworking culture too. You don't want your employees to feel like they have to be available all the time or that they need to work more than usual just because they have the equipment to do so. I think it's important to set guidelines and expectations for hours of work. Some people have a hard time separating work from personal life when they work from home, but it's really important for your mental well-being and to keep employee morale up in these challenging times. And let me tell you, it is stressful enough living through a pandemic, much less trying to work during one. Especially with kids in the house. Or you spouses. mentioned that, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. And barking dogs, jumping cats, and whatever else pops into the screen when you're trying to handle a video conference. So while on we're on that topic, I think most people have gotten familiar with Zoom and similar platforms. But let's just give a, a quick PSA to remind folks to turn off your audio and video if you need to excuse yourself for a break during virtual meetings. Yes. Uh, sadly, we have all seen videos of recorded video meetings where someone failed to do just that. I felt so awful for the woman who brought her laptop to the bathroom for the entire team to see her sit on the toilet before she realized she was not only streaming live, get it, streaming, um, but being recorded. I know. Really, though, shame on the person who shared that, by the way. That is awful, and I refuse to watch it. Playground rules, folks. If you wouldn't want it done to you, don't do it to other folks. Okay, here's another question I get a lot. If my employee gets hurt while working remotely, is the employer liable for the injury? Well, like so many other things we talk about, this is going to be a fact-specific scenario and depend on the state in which the employer is located. The workers' comp laws in many states indicate that an injury must arise out of and occur within the course of employment in order to be covered. So, If your hypothetical employee trips on a computer cord while walking from her computer to her printer, that may very well be covered, again, depending on the state and the facts. On the other hand, if your employee decides to take her lunch break and do a little bit of gardening in the backyard, and then she falls because she's fleeing from a hungry alligator, I think the employer has a much better chance of arguing that this injury did not, in fact, arise in the course and scope of the employee's job duties. (laughs) I I mean, I'm laughing and that may sound absurd to most people, but native Floridian here and it's really not that far-fetched. That said, I would not have predicted that this would happen to an employee during the workday and I assume that the employer wouldn't either, which begs the question, does the employer have a duty to make sure the remote employee's work environment is safe? There are a lot of factors to consider there, Um, but from a federal perspective, OSHA contains a so-called general duty provision, which requires employers to provide places of employment free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm. 
We've all talked about this uh, provision a lot in the context of COVID-19. And when it comes to working from home, OSHA has said that employers are not required to inspect their employees' homes to determine whether a safe working environment exists. However, employers are required to record work-related injuries regardless of whether the injuries occur in the factory or in a home office. All right. So I think some good practical advice would be to define employee work hours and job duties because it might help determine whether an injury is work-related or not. Plus all that wage and hour stuff we talked about. Good call. Sometimes all these policies can help in in more ways than one. (laughs) All right. Moving on off my soapbox. Um, We did have an episode earlier about employee monitoring, and there is no question that there are interesting privacy issues that come to play with remote work. Right. Like, does an employer have the right to watch what its employees are doing at all times when working from home? I guess the thought process is they would be able to monitor them at work either, you know, directly with their own eyes or with surveillance cameras, of course, except in private places. But How does that translate to the home environment? Well, as we said during that episode, there are both federal and state implications related to privacy concerns. So you definitely want to be aware of the privacy laws of the states in which you operate. However, most employers do have a handbook policy that says employees have no expectation of privacy on, for example, company equipment. So If you are giving employees advance notice and you want to install a keystroke tracker while they're working, chances are you can can probably do that. Now, if you want to be able to turn on the camera on their computer remotely without notice, I think that's creepy and it probably violates an employee's privacy rights in many circumstances. Yes, which raises another issue. What does an employer need to do to make sure the employee is maintaining security and confidentiality of company documents? Ooh, good question. At the risk of sounding repetitive, a written policy and training on data security is an important step. Um, I, I mention it as a policy, but ideally I'd like to see a written agreement with the employee acknowledging that they will ensure company information is kept securely kept away from family members and guests. Documents will be properly destroyed when no longer needed. They won't be copied. The employee will log off the computer when they're done working. All that good stuff. And hey, I also like regular cybersecurity training while we're at it. All good advice. On top of that, there are specific requirements for certain industries that you need to consider too, such as HIPAA for healthcare employers or really for any individual who handles medical information for employees. It could mean ensuring you have the proper equipment, software and hardware requirements, and let's say a shredder, for example. And this can be a lot to manage depending on the industry and the particular position, which is why a lot of employers simply did not want to mess with working from home pre-COVID-19. You're right. Though I think many employers that were against it previously have warmed up to the idea. They realize the concerns they previously had about employees goofing off or lack of productivity isn't what they feared. And in many cases, employers are doing even better now. And they're happy, perhaps more comfortable, no time sitting in stressful traffic, which means 
more money in their pocket because they're not spending it on gas and tolls, for example. And on the employer side, companies are able to downsize the amount of office space, which can result in substantial savings. At the same time, teleworking doesn't work for everyone or every organization. And generally, work from home is a luxury an employer does not have to grant. Generally being the key word here. Let's do another fun scenario, Sherry. Let's assume an employee asks to work from home. And the company says, you know what, I understand you'd like to do this, but we don't allow employees to telework. Of course, it's never that easy. You're, you said fun, so I assume that you're going to <laughs> give me a scenario where the employee has a disability and needs to work from home to accommodate that disability, right? Uh, of course, otherwise it would be a fairly boring scenario. Um, and in you know the scenario with an employee who has a disability, generally, the Americans with Disabilities Act requires employers to provide a reasonable accommodation to employees who have a disability if doing so would enable the employee to perform the essential functions of his or her job, of course, so long as it does not cause an undue hardship. There is a huge line of cases about when reporting to work in person is an essential function of a job and whether granting a work-from-home accommodation would be an undue hardship. So, depending on the facts, this is a scenario where an employer may or may not have to grant this accommodation. Um, Of course, assuming there isn't any other reasonable accommodation that would enable the employee to work, such as a private room or a workplace close to the restroom. Right. And I think we mentioned this in an earlier episode on COVID-19, but if an employee suffers from an underlying condition and they've been advised by a physician not to return to the physical workspace, the employer will need to engage in the interactive process to determine if a teleworking arrangement can be made to accommodate the employee. But generally, employers are not required to grant an employee's request to work from home if it's simply because that's their preference. And I get it. There is value in face-to-face connections. They can lead to better working relationships, collaboration, creativity, and there are a number of jobs that simply cannot be done at home. Retail, manufacturing, come to mind. Um, At the same time, I'm at least told there are benefits to teleworking. (laughs) Like wearing yoga pants with your suit jacket for a Zoom hearing? I have heard rumors of such behavior, which I can neither admit nor deny. Well, I'm not not afraid to admit. I actually did a diversity training this morning um, through a virtual platform. I I was standing, but I I told everybody I was was wearing sneakers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have perhaps a final teleworking issue for everyone to consider. Let's talk about restrictive covenants non-competes and non-solicitation agreements, which often have restrictions on where an employee can work after they leave the company. Most jurisdictions require those restrictions to be reasonably tailored in terms of time and geographic scope. But in the work-from-home context, how does that translate if you have someone living in one place but working in another? It could potentially muddy the waters if you're moving to enforce a non-compete signed before the employee started teleworking. 
It's very interesting, and there isn't a lot of case law on this, but a couple of opinions out of New Jersey that give us an idea. And the court suggested that the employer needs to address this issue in the written agreement with the employee. It's also worth mentioning that with work often being conducted via digital means across jurisdictional boundaries, it can call into question which state's laws apply to an employment relationship and impact things such as payroll taxes, unemployment, and required posters, for example. So it's better to consider these issues ahead of time so you can properly budget and plan. You know, I just had a client tell me about a scenario where an employee filed for unemployment benefits in a different state than where the company thought she was located. She had moved and literally not mentioned it to the company. So yes, make sure you've thought through these issues on the front end. Okay, I know you've been eager to share this crazy teleworking story, and we have to give the hat tip to our partner, Robin Shea, for bringing this story to our attention. For those who don't know, Robin is the author of the award-winning employment law blog, Employment and Labor Insider, which always contain interesting and informative entries, although not usually as salacious as this one. So go ahead. I don't know about eager to share the story exactly. Um, but the short the short version is that there was a government official in the Philippines, I believe, who forgot to shut off his webcam during a meeting. And one of his co-workers recorded him and his assistant having sexual relations during the meeting. Um, I, I guess while the other meeting attendees sat in stunned silence. <laughs> I don't know what you say to that. Uncomfortable. Like, yeah, so many inappropriate comments, yet so little time left. So I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you for joining me today, Sherry. My pleasure. Before we sign off, I want to make my typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast. It would be wonderful if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave a written review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. We hope you tune in again in a couple of weeks for the next episode.